Okay, well, welcome. It's nice to see you all today. Nice to see those of you joining on Zoom. Hope you're appreciating the new setup. So, got a wide angle and a close up and everything. So, should be even better at home. Not to say it won't be even better now you've come out here in the room, but uh, we've made a few upgrades at home tonight. Hopefully, the sound's coming through loud and clear as well. Uh, welcome back to Katie, who's doing the third and final of our sessions about um, giving glory to God in different circumstances. We've looked at sadness, we looked at anger. Tonight we're looking at Whoop. I'll carry on. I made everyone jump. We're looking at electric shock therapy tonight and the effects on a large group. So uh, we'll continue to do this throughout the session and see how many times we make you jump. Yeah, so I'm going to pray and then we'll hand over to uh, Katie for tonight's session. Father, we thank you so much for... Um, the opportunity to be together this evening. We thank you for church family and friends. We thank you for um, just blessing us with one another. We thank you for the encouragement that we can be, that we can spur one another on to love you more, to serve you with greater joy. And Father, we pray we'd do that tonight. Father, we thank you for Katie and for the things she's been teaching us from your word. We pray you bless her this evening as she continues uh, to help us to think through this whole subject of perfectionism, how it affects us, how we can deal with that tendency in our hearts to want to be in control, to want to um, prove ourselves constantly to others. And Father, I pray you'd use tonight to liberate us from sin and to free us to serve you with greater joy. So we pray you bless Katie as she speaks and us as we listen and discuss. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for having me these last three weeks and your very warm welcome. It's really lovely to get to know some of you a bit better. And thank you to Simon as well. He's really doing so much with the technology. I'm very thankful. Oh, lots of behind the scenes work going on today. Um, well, I thought I'd start by um, talking about a very close friend. Some of you here might know her. She's called Susanna. Um, Susanna and my friendship goes back quite a few years and she's been instrumental in helping me to find my feet in the world of biblical counselling. When I met Susanna, I was already quite far through my biblical counselling training um, and I'd started meeting with people one-to-one -one a little bit, but I hadn't really started teaching this stuff. And in October 2017, Susanna invited me to fly across the world and teach biblical counselling to a conference of ministers in India. Not wanting to say no to such an opportunity, I said yes. Back then, perfectionism was not something I'd really given much thought to. But delivering teaching to a ridiculously high standard was not just a desire in my heart, it was an absolute must. After all, this was my best opportunity to show people that I know what I'm talking about when it comes to pastoral care. This was my opportunity to get back into the working world after a few years of being a stay-at-home mum. Well, I won't go into detail, but that time is marked in my memory as one of the most special adventures I've ever embarked upon, whilst also being, without a doubt, one of my most stress-inducing ministry experiences. And this was in no small part due to the fact that Susanna approaches work, approaches prep in a very different way to myself. To an observer, one might draw the conclusion that I am meticulous and conscientious and thorough and hardworking. What you wouldn't see is the uncomfortable 
tightening spasms that I was experiencing in my body just due to panic and actually one or two panic attacks in that time. And I'm embarrassed to say that my family and my home life were taking a hit. I was betting my life on hitting a particularly high standard as I prepared, potentially a standard that was actually out of reach. But I tightly gripped on, determined to get there. An observer might also conclude that Susanna wasn't doing those things in quite the same way that I was. But that was four years ago, and Susanna and I have taught many hours of biblical counselling material since then, and I've witnessed the beauty of Susanna's genuine reliance on grace when it comes to her achievements in a work setting. I've been challenged that my ways so often lack faith, whereas Susanna, she'll put in more time with God, with the Holy Spirit, um, knowing that he is capable in a seminar like this to talk to, to talk to her heart and to talk in your hearts. Whereas I find it's quite tricky to take my eye off the ball and stop typing and reading and typing and reading for a few weeks beforehand. Um, because I feel that I need to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and control my every word. Susanna relies on her relationship with the Lord. Whereas I'm, I struggle to um, acknowledge those human limitations and his faithfulness. I do wonder whether sometimes Susanna wishes that she had put in a bit more sleepless, stressful hours of prep into her work. I know that she would say that God blesses the perfectionistic time I put in and he uses it to glorify himself. And although it doesn't come naturally to her to prepare things in a stereotypically swatty way, as she would say, um, I know that she does take her work very seriously. And she always wants to handle scripture well and sensitively. And she brings the Lord's word to bear fruit on people's lives. But I certainly sometimes wish that I had the trust of stressless, to stress less and let go of my strange man-made rules as to how to perform well. Um, I'm battling that nowadays to live out of my identity in Christ, to get my worth and capability from him and him alone. So we learn from each other, don't we? We challenge each other to let go of familiar man-made strategies and to strive for an understanding of our human weaknesses in our work and the Lord's unfailing strength and power in talking to his people. We continue, both of us, to grow in our efforts to give our work and our rest to God, knowing that he has control of all things and he has equipped us well. Well, let's start by attempting to clarify what we mean by perfectionism for the sake of this evening's seminar. So perfectionism is not attempting to be perfect in all things at all times. A lot of things we do, especially in a non-academic sense, it would be impossible to reach 100% perfection or even to reach an agreement with one another what 100% perfection would look like. I don't think anyone in this room would believe that a person can be perfect in all things at all times. That's just ludicrous. My idea of perfect is going to be different to your idea of perfect in a lot of things anyway. So we don't really believe that perfect is a human standard, really. We say, don't we? We're only human. Perfectionism, then, isn't really about gunning for perfection 
but rather gunning for our own line. It might actually be better named benchmarkism or standardism. Perfectionism then involves putting pressure on ourselves and or on others to meet our personally decided high standards, standards that we decide for areas of our life that matter most to us, which has a huge influence on the way that we think about ourselves and the world we live in. For better or for worse, and we'll get to that in a minute, it's hard for us perfectionists, isn't it? Can everyone see? It's hard for us, isn't it? It's like the rest of the world didn't get the memo that keeping up with life's high standards, being thorough, keeping things beautiful, living harmoniously, it keeps serenity in a chaotic world, doesn't it? Do people not realise that by lowering standards, they make life frustrating at best or scary at worst? I like this slide. It's like the despairing per perfectionist just looking on. But perfectionism should also not be mistaken as hard work, trying to do our utmost and be our best. I think that's really important. So words like conscientious, hardworking, cooperative, organized, thorough, these are all rich and glorifying words. They aren't sinful words. These are words that describe people who love well or who honor God in their work. We don't want to suggest that working towards a good and proper standard is a sin. So if a ra racing car driver tries to consistently drive with unwavering precision, we wouldn't say they need counselling for perfectionism. If the teacher does a headcount every time necessary when they're out on their school trip, again, it's not being obsessive, it's keeping pupils safe. The surgeon removes the appendix out of our grandmother. Again, you would hope that their standards for hygiene and accuracy are meticulous. Even the council worker who meticulously cuts every bit of lawn in the neighbourhood blesses a whole community. The parent who always fully cooks the chicken. These people are loving well. These aren't the standards that we're talking about here. Perfectionism is something different. This evening, then, it's less about where you put the bar and more about how much attaining that standard matters to you. How much do you have your worth, your energies, your emotions wrapped up in hitting that mark? The seminar is less about where your bar is, although it's fair to say we all have fairly ludicrous methods for coming up with where the bar might be. Surely God is the only one with a truthful perspective on what perfect looks like. But this seminar is more about how much it matters to you. How much are you influenced by when you pass and when you fail your own tests? How is your view of self, your view of God and your view of the world around you influenced moment by moment through your missing or achieving the mark? And there are different focuses for our perfectionist tendencies um, that make it rise to the surface. So I thought we could look at three biggies. Um, so the first one is going to be relationships. Some of us 
have more high standards when it comes to relationships than others. Those people don't have a particularly high standard when it comes to their work performance, but would absolutely die of humiliation if they weren't reaching particular standards in their relationships. An example of this could be the teenager who watched all the Disney films and then all the chick flicks and all the romantic comedies. That's her first boyfriend and is disappointed that it turns out he's only human. So she subtly puts pressure on him to be more romantic. Nothing big, just little facial expressions when he expresses love in ways that fall below her bar. A more extreme example would be someone who's working to so hard to be a particular kind of person, a particular way to seek approval from a parent. It's, they're getting so tired of it that over the years they just pull away completely. They just stop talking to them altogether. These are relational manifestations of perfectionism. So maybe you feel like less of a person because you can't seem to make really good friends with others the way some can. You can't make people laugh like others can. You can't find a spouse. So you draw a conclusion that you somehow are simply not as good a person as others. You're forever looking to the side of you and comparing and self-loathing. If we think about it like a ladder, some people are forever erecting a social status ladder or a relationship ladder. And no matter where you place yourself on that ladder, you always have your eye on the people you admire or even envy who are a few runs up from you. Perhaps you also find relief and gladness noticing those who are below you on the ladder who are hitting the mark even less than you are. Perfectionism always gets us comparing ourselves to others. But maybe relational perfectionism isn't something you aspire to. Maybe you are much more motivated by appearance. This could be the appearance of your house, of the inside of your car, how clean things are, how beautiful. You pour your time into dreaming of your next home improvement project. You spend money on creating a particular feel with particular furniture and particular organizational solutions. Appearance could also be to do with your body, its shape and size how much you weigh, muscle mass. This is a good one to see how our standards, um, where we put the bar, is just really different and really personal. So my younger sister, she's an athlete, she's a footballer. Her line of where she feels unhealthy is a million miles away from where my line is to where I feel unhealthy. Another extreme would be an eating disorder, which begins in the realms of social media, yearning to look a particular way, branding a particular body type as perfect, damaging ourselves trying to reach it. When we hit our ideal of looking just so, we're happy and we're confident. When we fail to deliver our ideas of acceptable beauty, we feel sad or not quite ourselves. Some of us never feel like we're enough in our own home or in our own body. This is another comparison ladder, isn't it? No matter where we place ourselves on the ladder, we always notice those who are above or below us. Then the third type of perfectionism that we're going to hone in on is that of performance. I touched on this a bit at the start. 
um, with my incessant focus on productivity and achieving. This one impacts our work. Paid work, but for some, it might be things that we work towards throughout the day. So this could include parenting or caring for someone. It could even include a hobby um, where your eye is on how you perform in front of others or before God. Your performance before God um, can also get swept up in there. When one of my daughters turned six, I remember she was given um, lots of lovely craft kits for her birthday. And I said, are you going to open them and play with them? And she said, no. And then a few weeks later, are you going to open them and play with them? No. And then a, a month or two later, rainy day, everyone in the house is bored. I said, please, can we open them? And she said, no, because she didn't want to open them because she didn't want to ruin them. She, she had that like blank canvas fear of the moment I start messing with it maybe it will ruin it she can be like that even with her homework now um she's hard working and she likes to do really well but because of that sometimes she doesn't really want to start it and I can be a bit like that with sports or board games I know I'm not naturally gifted at thriving in games so I would rather sit them out or maybe not even ever give something a go in case I might not be very good at it Someone who is performance-driven will feel elated when they get an A in their studies, but totally crushed at any hint of criticism. An extreme version of this kind of perfectionism might be the athlete taking performance-enhancing drugs to be the best, or the musician who writes more freely when drinking alcohol. How sad that we feel to be someone of value, we must achieve a standard that's outside of our sober capabilities. So why don't you turn to someone on your table, maybe do this in pairs or as a table. And why don't you just discuss um, whether you can think of particular areas in your life where high standards deeply matter to you. Um, and maybe also what happens when you hit or miss that standard. Does anybody feel like they could share what kind of things you've been discussing on your tables? Yeah, yeah. So becoming less of a perfectionist as life goes on because you become more of a realist. Yeah. Or maybe because Jesus is growing you to have more peace in these things. Who knows? <laughs> maybe a bit of both. <laughs> but other people. Baking. Yeah. That is a really good example because yeah. it feels like it should all just happen perfectly, like Mary Berry, eat your heart out, but it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. See, maybe baking for me would be like what I said about sport. I don't really try it very often. <laughs> Did anyone else have some other examples that came to mind of places in their life where they feel like they do have that standard that it bugs them if they can't quite meet? Trying to be less self-critical. Yeah. <laughs> 
maybe that ties in with what Claire was saying on their table. Neil's table, you look like you were having a good discussion. We were, yeah, we were talking a bit about just why we how kind of how, I suppose I've got any better over time, just how crushed I feel and I've got a lot of understanders in terms of making other people happy. So, so much of my mindset is I want um, my family to be happy, I want every, everyone in church to be happy always. Mm. And when that doesn't happen, I kind of feel like I've missed what I was trying to achieve mm. and I find that utterly crushing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, people pleasing is coming up on the next page because I think that is like a relational perfectionism, isn't it? When we feel like we can't please everyone or solve people's brokenness. You know, if people are coming to you and they're hurting and they have need and you feel like, surely I can perfectly rescue this person and help them and be the perfect listener. Yeah, it's, it's tricky to just remember our weaknesses in those things. Any others? What about that second question? Like what happens, maybe we could ask Kelvin, what, what happens when you miss the mark? How do you feel? I feel, feel disappointed, really. Sorry. I feel disappointed in yourself. But then you sort of also sort of blame the ingredients as well. You sort of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think there's something wrong with your oven. If you've got all the ingredients all perfectly weighed out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's helpful though, that feeling of like disappointed in yourself because you've not reached that target that you expect that you should be able to reach. Um, and if not that, just blaming other things and blaming other people. Did anyone else get around to answering that bit of the question? So almost like the big, heavy spiritual things, you find it's a little bit easier to go to God for forgiveness for those things rather than these little mundane things that don't really matter. It's quite hard to bring God in and find forgiveness um, in those areas. Yeah, it's helpful. Mm. Are we all right with the sound? Yeah, I this, yeah yeah it has yeah <laughs> this is um not the first time something like this has happened when I've um taught on perfectionism years ago when I did this did something similar I was meticulously preparing thought I'd got everything lined up and everything was going to be perfect went to my church to print off the talk then drove through traffic to Clover's church Whitcomb to deliver the talk and got there and realized I'd left my computer and the talk at my church and people were starting to arrive. <laughs> I had to leave, go and get it. 
And I was literally saying in my head all of these truths about it doesn't matter if you don't hit the standard. It's okay if you're weak. It's all right. God is strong. And so I just think these things happen at perfectionist standards. <laughs> that one was on purpose. <laughs> oh. Well, you've probably heard it from each other in, in your groups, how our, our standards, our behaviors, our patterns of thinking, they're all slightly different to one another. Maybe you can see yourself in all three of those ones mentioned. Um, But one thing we all have in common when we get stuck in this loop is that our measuring stick seems to lose all sight of what God says about who we are and more to the point who he is and how he views us. What I mean is that the perfectionist has a strong sense of when I am winning and when I am failing, when I fit in or I'm accepted or when I'm cut off and I'm outside when I'm being blessed and when I'm being cursed, when I'm worth something or when I'm worth nothing. We have a strong sense of those things before even considering God and what his word says to each one of us in each one of those things. Well, this is the heartbreaking reality of the way our standards blind us and enslave us. Our lives take a devastating hit when we put time and effort into living out a man-made ritual of standards that God never asked us to partake in. And living life our way by our rules actually doesn't work very well for us. So you'd think that having a high standard in something might produce good fruit in that area, whereas actually, more often than not, it can hinder the, the thing that we're so trying to achieve. So bad fruits are produced in ourselves out of this man-made standard chasing heart. So for example, procrastination, a bit like what I said with my daughter, you know, sometimes when you're putting so much pressure on yourself to do the perfect assignment, you just never quite get around to starting it. Or maybe total avoidance. Sometimes we just totally avoid things um, because we're worried that we might knock it up. There's also this tortured decision-making that can happen because you think, I'm going to choose this thing. Oh no, hang on a second, because there are flaws and that might go wrong, or that might go wrong. Okay, I'll go to the other option. Oh, but I can see that that might go wrong. And that might, and actually, we find it very hard to make a decision when we're looking for the perfect solution, the perfect answer, because maybe it just doesn't exist. We can also experience that that temptation to overwork and burn out. Um, struggling to switch off and struggling to just enjoy things or be thankful struggling to be prayerful also a very um, practical outworking of this sort of heart struggle is that we can experience poor health or even poor finances you know we spoke about how maybe you could go to drink and that would affect your health or if you were always trying to get the best furniture in your house or the best cleaning products or whatever it is you might actually ignore the bank balance and just think I need this product um, because I want this thing to be perfect and of course it's going to affect our emotions our mental health we're going to worry we're going to be anxious we might have bursts of anger well, these are just a few of the ways that our lives look when we let these standards grip our hearts, when we let these standards dictate our identity in place of God's promise to us. And as we mentioned, our rejection of God's word on standards and justification, it makes us erect those ladders. 
of human righteousness. If I could be up there like that person, if I could keep my house as nice as they do, if I could find a marriage like that, when our heart is out of kilter between us and God, it inevitably leads to problems between us and other people around us. So here are just some examples of bad fruits that are produced in our relationships out of this struggle. So all areas are not equal. And what I mean by that is that the work perfectionists home life will suffer the home perfectionist work life might suffer so whereas I was having this high standard when it came to preparing for India maybe Susanna had a very high standard for the pastoral care relationships that she had going on at that time I'm looking at her and thinking what's she doing why is she not preparing more for our teaching she's looking at me and thinking why is she not putting more into those relationships So yeah, it it changes. The one that you're choosing means the others might suffer. And people often get the dregs of us, don't they, if they don't fit in to our standard hierarchy. And maybe even just the way you hear people and communicate with people will be um, slightly off. So you might underhear compliments and overhear criticisms. You might be quick to see others' shortcomings, coveting and comparing. Being controlling as well. I have to get this done by this time to a perfect standard. So why are you not helping me or doing it for me? Or you could at least do what you're supposed to be doing. So I don't have to think about that as well. Or could you just go away and leave me alone? This is life or death and you better get in line. There's also people pleasing. That's one that Neil mentioned. We're so desperate, aren't we, to reach our ideals that we sometimes just say or do anything for people, not out of love, love for the Lord or love for one another but out of love of self and survival because this is the law that we live by well this is all pretty glib so let's think for a minute about Romans 8 verse 15 it says this for you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear but you received the spirit of sonship by whom we cry Abba Father So let's think about how our sonship can speak into this vicious cycle. Perfectionism can be a mean slave driver. It can keep us up all night putting finishing touches on something. It's like a nasty voice that shouts in our ears that we haven't done enough, that we're going to disappoint people, that we're insufficient. But the Bible tells us that Jesus has broken the bonds of fear. We no longer need to be afraid of that voice or the pain that it threatens that's telling you you need to be more, you need to do more, you are not enough. You can see as well where that voice might come from because the context that precedes Jesus' coming is that we aren't enough. In some ways, you strive for order because you look around you and you see this broken world, you see the chaos, you want to clean it up. You want to straighten it out. You long to find peace and cleanliness and beauty. You long to find people serving each other well and stewarding the world well. But the truth is, this side of heaven, you can't achieve this battle against a messy, sin-filled, suffering-filled world. We're totally inadequate, totally imperfect. Heck, that's the beginning of the gospel, isn't it? We fall short. We aren't enough. We need a more powerful, more perfect saviour to come and clear up 
the warped imperfections of our existence living after the fall. But let's remember that the cross is a contract that promises that we have been redeemed. So your stability then, it's not based on hitting your perfection. Your stability is on Christ's perfection that draws you to God as his precious, beloved, protected child. Let that sink in a second. We have been adopted. We're children of God. From that safe, familial position, we serve no other master. Not fear, not perfectionism, not the people around us whose real or perceived judgments might have sometimes driven us to aim for perfection in the first place. We are accountable to our God, the one who loves us completely and wants to use us for good things. Weaknesses, imperfections, flaws and all. He is working in all of it. Now, this, uh, sorry, I was going to turn to the Bible here, but I've got it written here as well. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So the ladder analogy is when we're striving by our own strength, like the Pharisees, to attain some kind of justification. But God lays all of those ladders flat. He sees people as equally flawed and equally beautiful. He sees every one of us as his image bearers. He sees every one of us as a sinner. He sees every one of us as his precious creation. He sees us all as sufferers in a broken world. If we're honest with ourselves, our major driving force of perfectionism is the underlying desire for people to see us as good, whether that's kind-hearted or good at what we do. We're all tempted to measure our worth and our greatness in these odd ways, but we can turn that ladder from the lowliest to the greatest among us and flip it flat on its side because we're all equally lowly and equally great in the eyes of God. God loves you because he just does. He's a God of love. He is love. He is for you and he died for you when you were at your lowest version of you. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It delights him to love you. Well, I've got something else for you to discuss if I can find it with all of my papers. And I thought we might break the room into three. So um, the guys on the front row, if you could do this first question on your handout, where is God's standard for our performance at work? And remember, we said work is anything you're working to, towards really in your day. Where is his standard? What does the Bible say is a perfect picture of what we should be doing with our work? And also, how does he view you when you hit or fall short of that standard? Then the middle row of tables, if you could do the second question, where is God's standard for how we are to relate to people? How does he view you when you hit or fall short of that standard? And the back table can do, where's God's standard for our, our appearance? What's God's standard of beauty? Um, and how does he view you when you hit or fall short of that standard? And those listening online, you can choose from the questions or do all three if you like. It's quite a big task that I've given you to think through the whole Bible at these standards.
Hmm, where should we start? People online can feel free to chip in um, via their messages. But shall we start with the back row? Which question did you guys have? Outward appearance, beauty, yeah. What did you discuss on your tables? What, what do you think God's standard for what's beautiful? What would he say? Mm -hmm. yeah that's really lovely I'll repeat it because I know people are online as well but just talking about how our outward appearance can reveal something that's going on deeper down inside and how sometimes like we're asked to dress modestly that's a part of our loving people well so when we shift our focus on trying to do that for God, that's it takes your eyes off just what you look like and more onto um, loving people well. That's helpful. Did you discuss, um, yeah, how God treats you if you succeed or fail at that at that bar? Do you want to share? <laughs> Um, yeah, we were saying that, well, that God is pleased with us, even though we're um, not perfect when we do choose to follow his way, when we do try um, and strive to meet his standard. Um, there is a way in which he's pleased with us. Um, and I was basically saying, I do find that very hard to believe. Mm. Um, I find it much easier to believe that I'm sinful and wrong mm. um, than I do that God could be pleased with me. Um, but it, it is true um, and quite, yeah, remarkable. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. It's hard to get eyes around, but God's still pleased with us. Even when we don't hit his standards, he still loves us. What about from the middle row? Um, anyone want to share what you guys came up with? I think we said that God's standard and how we relate to other people is much higher than our own standards and how we relate to other people mm -hmm. and is unattainable. So we always fail. Mm -hmm. So, um, Love one another as I have loved you. It's mm. one of the commandments. Love the yeah. thy neighbours thyself. Mm. Um, Philippians 2, all high standards. Mm -hmm. So I think we never succeed. Yeah. We always fail. And I think the example we came up with of Jesus had this problem with his disciples because they were always thinking of themselves. But he was incredibly patient with them over the three years. Firm, but patient. Mm. So those are some of the thoughts we had. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, definitely. I feel like in some ways, that middle group, thinking of God's standards for how we treat others, there's a lot to go to in scripture, isn't there? There's a lot of, a lot of pointers as to how we should treat others. And it is a hard standard to reach, like you say, impossible, really, to love people in that way. Um, yeah, but yeah, God is compassionate and again just <laughs> treats us with grace even though he knows that we can't reach those standards doesn't it It just reveals our need for a savior really who can um what about the front tables did you get anywhere thinking about what God's standard is for our work 
Jennifer. I'm sorry, I've got that at work. I find it, it blows my mind. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and um, I worked the first wave during the pandemic and I worked in a pharmacy and it was just compounded like I've never experienced it before and obviously had the public reacting like literally at one point every 30 seconds someone would be screaming and shouting and sometimes it's one of the few places where I do feel anger and I feel angry at that person for making me not like them mm. and that makes me feel like I've fallen short and I, I hate getting angry because they've inflicted mm. Uh, sin on me mm. um, and you said about the bottles at work didn't you like he gets angry because the, the people that work mm. with the bottles and it, it can't help it it's just so complicated mm. so actually at work it's quite a bubbling pot yeah. of temptation it's quite hard to try and work well for God's glory yeah yeah did you guys get to talking about how God treats you in that when you're failing to work in a really godly and holy and wholesome way? <laughs> yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So actually our workplaces can be really difficult places to be godly anyway, but with the pandemic on top, that was a lot of pressure on a lot of people, wasn't it? <laughs> Just put that out there on the mic. <laughs> oh, let's move on. I think that was helpful to see that, yeah, that God still just pours more grace onto us even when we're not reaching his standards for these things and actually his standards are often a lot higher even than our own but they are different from our own aren't they and it's good to to think about um we're running out of time but we're just I'm just gonna um look with you at Acts 17 verses 24 to 28 I think we've got it on the handout and maybe on the slides and you've got a bible so you should be able to follow along Let me read it, Acts 17, verses 24 to 28. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Well. Let's have a look at what we can glean from this passage. There's a lot in it. Let's have a look at what we can glean that helps us in these things that we've been speaking about this evening. First of all, God is in control and he has a system. So we aren't in control of our outcomes, are we? But the God of order and justice, security and sovereignty, he is in control of your life. And God has it all 
in hand. So the passage says that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, not us. He made the world and everything in it. He made the nations. He's marked out our appointed times in history and boundaries on the lands. We are his created children, his offspring. Can you let go of your control and efforts to bring about a life that you're happy with? Can you trust that God has a system already at work that brings glory to himself and cleans up all of the imperfections in a broken world or in our sinful hearts? Can you see yourself as person-sized and care a little bit less about your own standards um, and instead fix your care on the fact that he has already succeeded? It is finished His system has been in place since before you were born and it stretches into eternity. His redemptive system that is far, far more secure than the things we're pitifully aiming for here on earth. The next thing we can see is we don't need to strive for the out of reach because we can strive for the in reach things that we were actually made for. So let's look again. Why did he create us? Verse 27, it says... He did this so that we would work ourselves into the ground, trying to attain security and order for ourselves in impossible ways. No, he did this so that we might seek him and reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away. This is where our efforts should be focused. In those aspects of your life that you've already discussed, um, where you have this perfectionist pattern, do you seek God? Do you believe that he is seekable, that he is findable because he is not far away? What about this verse about a man-made temple? Not in man-made temple, but in Christ. Let's see where we can find him, where we can meet with him, because we need to meet with this merciful God, don't we? Because our hearts are so prone to wander and we are constantly falling short. Well, God the Lord, he does not live in temples built by human efforts. God doesn't reside in a temple made with human hands and man-made bricks anymore. Jesus declared in his words and again in his actions as he bled on the cross and that temple curtain ripped in two, do you remember, that he himself became the meeting place between God and man. It's in Christ that we have access to the Holy of Holies. The triune God then has cut out the need for us to work at our standing before him. We stand based not on what you and I have achieved, but on what Jesus achieved in our place. And that's wonderful news because actually there's only one person in all of history to have lived perfectly in God's standard of sinlessness. And that's Jesus, isn't it? The sacrificial lamb. He lived as a spotless substitute, a sin offering for us to be brought into a perfect life, eternal life. And finally, perfectionism actually gives us nothing, but God gives bountifully. So when we hold on to these ideals, these high standards, it's like we live on a treadmill, always trying to reach something that either hurts us to reach it, or it isn't even reachable. But when we live by faith, trusting in Christ's robe of righteousness wrapped around our shoulders, like a guaranteed 
undeserved VIP ticket to go and feast with the king. Not only is God reachable in Christ, he hands beautiful gifts our way. In him, we live and move and have our being. Well, as we end, do you think the royal children ever have a tantrum? Do you think the royal children could get up to all kinds of misbehavior? But do you think that that ever means that a guard would stop them from entering Buckingham Palace? Of course not. Their security is based on their father's royal title, not on their performance. Your security is based on your father's royal title. Your father is seated on his throne. His adoption papers for you are final and legally binding and sealed with the Holy Spirit. Nothing you can do can be bad enough to strip you of your royal inheritance. It was given by the king. Nobody can overthrow that decision. Just some final words on timing. One final thing to end on is that bringing order to chaos is a wonderful thing to look forward to. Our want for perfection in what can often be a scary environment isn't a bad want. It's just so badly timed. To need perfection now is to shoot ourselves in the foot because life isn't quite right yet. Things will be all right and good in the end, but that will take a new me with a new heart, a new you with a new heart and a new creation. So hold on because in God's strength, it is coming. Why don't I pray as we end? Father, we thank you that there is liberty and joy that comes from humbly knowing that apart from the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, we cannot work our way to righteousness. We can't work our way to justification. There's freedom knowing that we are allowed to acknowledge our weaknesses, our imperfections, and that just makes us rely all the more on you. We so see our need for a saviour. Teach us humility and remind us how you are going to bring order to the chaos. You are keeping us safe whilst we wait. And we thank you um, that we have that, that royal title that you've adopted us into your family um, by the blood of Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.